Hello and welcome to Comedy in a Nutshell. But who am I to talk about comedy? Well, I've gathered all the information I've got on seeing over a thousand comedians perform live over the last few decades, including ticket stubs, photographs and what they've said about me. And you can find all of that important and exciting information on my website, thecomedynerd.com. I love talking to the people in comedy about comedy. So if you like to hear what I have to say as much as I do, then please like, subscribe, rate, review and share the podcast. Thank you. My guest this episode was already well established as an actor for film, television and theatre, but it's her more recent forays into stand-up comedy that brought her to my attention, an area in which she's already marked herself out as one to watch. It's actor and stand-up comedian, Thomasin Lockwood. Are you happy? I think I'm good. Yeah, let's do it. First of all, tell me, um, how did comedy come into your life? Uh, As in performing it? No, just how did you discover comedy? Like myself, it was um, gathered around the TV at Christmas with the family and everyone watching the Christmas specials, oh. things like that. Or uh, or it might be on the radio or it might be someone played you a record one day. Oh, I know what it is. Um, I My dad was a big fan of Monty Python. Mm-hmm. And one of my earliest memories is them playing the Monty Python sketch, The Ministry of Silly Walks. Yeah. And I think my parents have never seen me laugh more. <laughs> and it was like a really special thing. And I remember afterwards being like, I want more, more of that. <laughs> but obviously the sketches had like the silly walk. So they didn't really have anything else they could show me. And I remember being really sad that like that was all there was of, of the silly walking. <laughs> <laughs> what sort of spurred you on the path to performance? I think, I mean, I I always really liked the Monty Python that I saw, um, like old sitcoms, Friends was on repeat in my household. So lots of like American sitcom humor. I always really liked the physical comedy. And I think my mum, my mum was a big influence in that she really likes Laurel and Hardy. Mm-hmm. So the really like old school clowning was always such a big appeal to me. Um, but in terms of performing, I, I always wanted to be an actor first. I loved being on stage and acting was like my first instinct. Yeah. Um, and I ended up working really, really hard and on my singing and dancing and got into one of the top, if not the top at the time I went in, uh, musical theater colleges, uh, to do a degree there. Mm-hmm. Um, and comedy kind of like it, it came later for me. I always really liked it, but I think... I knew it was a strength of mine, but in terms of following stand-up comedy, that just looked so difficult to me. Mm. And after doing, or at least trying, a career in musical theatre, I've realised, oh, like, nothing is ever going to be as hard as musical theatre. So in <laughs> coming to do stand-up theatre, it's actually kind of been helpful because I feel like I feel like trying to be in the acting industry, trying to be like a singer and dancer has given me such an armour that means that I feel like I can take a lot of the pitfalls of stand-up comedy with a pinch of salt in maybe a way I wouldn't have before. Right. So what what turned you from acting to comedy specifically? Were you acting in particularly comedic roles? I remember at drama school, it was my first year at drama school, we were doing the first ever acting project where you have to perform in front of like the whole school for the first time. And I was really nervous. The play was a cool, it was a play, am I allowed to swear, by the way? Yeah, yeah, do what you like. It was a play called Bollocks, and it was about this uh, soldier who in battle had had his his genitals um, blown off in battle. Mm-hmm. And I remember reading it at the time and thinking, I can't tell whether this is a comedy or this is meant to be serious. And obviously, I wish <laughs> I could go back in time to my 19-year-old self and be like, it's both, it's both, bitch. But like, I remember really struggling with the text and... I think the director also struggled to kind of get his idea across. And I remember the first scene I was in, a character says to my character something about like me looking particularly nice that day. My line was, oh, give over. And I said that line and I don't know what I did, Mark, how I said it, but the whole school burst into laughter and I got this wave of laughter on the stage and I physically jumped because I was so surprised because I was trying to be serious <laughs> I wasn't trying to make them laugh I was trying to act and I think um I think I just learned more and more as I was on stage I was it was easier for me to get a laugh than to move someone through song or to look sexy dancing and I got better and better at controlling that I think right and 
I, I tried for a few years to really give acting a go, like as best as I could with like, you know, my lack of connections and being bloody poor in London. And I loved it. And I still love it. I still love acting, still love musical theatre. Mm. But one day I said to my agent, like, I want to do more comedy. And he said, like, it's not really enough for you to just say, I want to do comedy. You have to prove to people you have funny bones. So guess what? There's a lot of funny people out there. So I suggest you do a stand-up course. Mm-hmm. And he actually sent me the the details of the comedy school. Have you heard of it? No. It's partly a charity as well. It's it's a it's a really great stand-up course. There I met my mentor, Mr. C, and it's it's really well run because they basically anyone can sign up to learn how to do stand up mm. and then you do a uh, a showcase at the end at the backyard comedy theater in, in Bethnal Green mm. and you can raise money for like you know like people for knife crime for people who have been rehabilitated out of prison so you can get up there and do stand up and even if it goes really wrong you can be like well I raised money for charity so no harm there <laughs> um so I did that and I was I was really, really nervous, but I I fell in love with it. And I think the thing with acting is you can really like do the best audition ever, but maybe if you haven't got the right look or know the right people, it can stop you from getting a job. You know, there's mm. times where I've heard, oh, they really loved you, but actually they needed someone a bit taller. Or you know what? They they hired more brunettes in the end for this job because of this. Like, whereas with comedy, I realized like I am already perfect. I don't have to change my hair. Don't have to change my weight. I don't have to change how I talk. I just have to be funny. Mm. And that just is obviously huge, Mark. <laughs> it's all in my control in a way that a lot of the acting and musical theatre industry didn't feel for me. Yeah, it's true. It's something that uh, I think Jamie Allison told me that um, if you're doing stand-up, that what you want to do is go out on stage and entertain people. You can do that day one. You just go and do it. So. Yeah, it, it, it feels like one of the last few art forms it sounds wanky calling it an art form but like one of the last few like entertainment pieces of that industry that isn't elitist mm-hmm. it probably is the further you go up the field like with all things but right i feel like you know you could be from anywhere doing anything and you could walk onto an open mic night at comedy and yes like with every part of the entertainment industry the more connection the more well off you are the easier it is but mm. also if you're not funny then you're not funny yeah. So at the end of your course at Backyard, how uh, how was the showcase? Did it go well? Did you get feedback from it? It went so great. It was like, I mean, it was an audience of like family and friends for everybody. So it's a very warm audience. Um, but I've got it recorded and um, I still watch it from time to time. And I just like, I look so comfortable on stage. It's a real like beginner's luck kind <laughs> of energy. I'm just kind of going for it. And it- it looks great but what had helped is actually during the course I actually did my first official stand-up gig at another open mic variety night right and that was it was like a variety night for charity and I, I signed up and was like oh, I could do comedy I'm learning comedy right now and I signed up to do a 10 minute set which is like way too much time on stage. <laughs> I think I ended up doing like a seven minute but um yeah I think I think the fact that I was used to being on stage and like I knew how to hold a microphone, Hmm. things that can really throw people off maybe their first time on stage, like not having that throw me off really helped. Yeah. You know, I'm sure lots of people will say when they first go on stage in front of like all the big lights, they're like, oh my God, I can't see anyone. I can't like, it's like darkness where I'm at. Like all the lights are on me and I can't see anyone in the crowd. And that, if you're, if you don't know that's coming, can throw you off so much. So (laughs) yeah, I think I, I, it was a real like catapult, I think having that previous experience. Yeah. And how was it having completed the course and then going out looking for bookings for your own slot separate when it's not friends and family in the audience, how was going on stage to a group of strangers? Do you get nerves? Do you get anxiety? Do you still? always always I think yeah I always get nervous I always get excited I, I, I always do sometimes more like sometimes more for some gigs sometimes less for others but I went to do a bring a night uh, recently because I really wanted to try to through some material that seemed on page hopeless but there was only one way to find out so I thought I'll, I'll go to a bring a night mm-hmm. and even then I was you know my leg was shaking I was like you know nervous and I think one of the lessons for me when I started getting out there after, you know, after the comedy course was 
having to let my material catch up to my stage presence if that makes sense yeah like I felt like I looked confident on stage and I knew how to project and to perform but my actual material was still like at such an early stage Hmm. so a lot of the feedback I'd often get was oh you're really likable and you're really good to listen to and you're really engaging but like (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> like the laughs weren't always as even as the, the the confidence we like you but be funnier yeah yeah I think so. like, it's kind of like you really had me thinking you were going somewhere with that but you weren't <laughs> yeah was doing comedy then after doing acting was it what you expected it to be were there any big surprises um it was what I expected it to be in terms of how liberating it felt like I, I got addicted and people tell you you know once mm. you start like e- either you'll never do it again or you get the bug and you just you get addicted and you you know always looking for gigs always wanting to try stuff always wanting to get out there mm. it was all what I expected to be in terms of being in my control I think oh oh I don't know whether to say this um <laughs> <laughs> I think naively I expected it to be maybe a bit kinder right and maybe a bit less elitist it is a bit less elitist but actually like the more the more I see higher up like Edinburgh Fringe is like a huge example of this the more I'm like oh actually like all aspects of the entertainment industry have their issues with with you know working class poorer or less less you know advantaged voices yeah coming through yeah I I think I, I expected people to be kinder not the audience but my peers Right. I should say. Okay. Hmm. Yeah. Well, it's still one person getting a gig is someone else not getting a gig. So. Yeah, I think you know, it's it's why I've kind of lately I've I've steered clear of competitions and, um, you know, the 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 uh, the gong shows and things because hmm. I think I think I really appreciated that I don't miss with auditioning as an actor I still do audition I still I still work as an actor but one thing that's always tough is you could do the best audition of your life and but still only one person out of like sometimes hundreds gets the job Mm. and I think what I really like with comedy is we all do a great bill and there might be one person who stormed it more than others there might be everybody might be great but it might be like actually the audience really like DMC tonight and Mm. it, it doesn't stop you working like you still did the bill you still you know get got paid or you still got like whatever you got out of it um whereas competitions really brings back a uh like that unpleasant feeling of oh I've failed and Mm. I remember um so I did a I'm sure you might remember I did a split bill with Roman on the free fringe last year Mm -hmm. and we got onto the, the Edinburgh fringe best of uh fringe lineup and I was so excited to do that show and there were some industry people there watching and mm-hmm. I don't, I didn't really have any expectations for after. I didn't really know what to expect, but I think I expected something <laughs> and did not get anything. Mm. And I remember feeling so down for months and from where everyone else was sitting, they were like, you did a great gig. You had a great time at like the Pleasant theater in London and mm-hmm. like, you know, you've just come off the back of a, a really for the your first time, like a very successful fringe run. Yeah, and I wasn't happy because of those that experience. And I I think like I'm really trying to protect myself going forward with comedy. In that, hmm. if I don't do a competition and don't get seen by the right people, at least at this stage with where I'm at, I'm fine with that. Because <laughs> at the end of the day. As another comedian said to me very wisely, no one's making you do this. So (laughs) you better make sure you're having a good time. And I think for me right now, my version of having a good time with comedy is not putting myself in a like competition mindset. Yeah. Yeah. Do you feel like it's easy to fall into the idea that it's not fun, it is an audition because you are ultimately trying to get the validation from the audience. But if you're also looking to impress agents or promoters as well that you might know or reviewers that you might know that are in do you feel like your yeah. it turns it changes from a fun night of larking about into another audition I think it really can I think I think if you want to get ahead hmm. 
you have to like if you want to get ahead you have to invite reviews you have to invite industry people you have to do competitions Hmm. and if you want to do more of it and want to keep doing more of what you love you have to do that stuff so it's this real um for want of a better word real mind fuck because you want to do what you enjoy in order to do that you kind of have to turn it into this like other thing and I just think where I'm at right now maybe I'm just not mentally mature enough to I hope maybe one day I will I can invite reviewers and do competitions and sincerely be like I don't care um and I think probably that attitude is is really really helpful and I find I often do better at the gigs where I'm a bit more of I don't care you know yeah I think it's an interesting point and this has come up before uh, on this podcast because where performer feeds off the audience's energy Mm. so too does the audience react to how the performer is so if you're having a lot of fun if you relax and just enjoy yourself then the audience enjoys it more and therefore everyone's happy but if you're if if you are seeing it like for want of a better phrase if you're seeing it as an audition if you're physically trying to impress people instead of just having your own good time Mark, that's such a good point. I think people can detect it, you know? They absolutely can. You're absolutely right. Like an audience can smell an inauthenticity a mile off. Like if you're tense mm. before you're saying a word, like they can see it. Like it's it's so interesting. But you're absolutely right. It's this like symbiotic yeah. thing with the audience. And actually, if you do relax and enjoy yourself, so does the audience. It's, mm. it's so interesting. It's so true. Yeah. Well, what about, uh, you've mentioned your split bill with Roman. Mm. Um, and then this year you did a solo show mm. so what was your festival experience last year and this year how do they compare how is doing the Edinburgh Fringe overall for you well you know what firstly I just want to say like the the, the free fringe PBH free fringe is just yep. the best because there is no way I could have afforded to have done it without them so like first of all I just love them forever for for all they do it's absolutely thankless they got a lot of mud slung their way and at the end of the day they're just performers who wanted to make it fairer and I I I finished reading Peter Buckley Hill's book recently and I'm just I'm like a real convert to that cause at the moment so we did both I I did both last year and this year on the free fringe Mm -hmm. doing it with Roman with the split bill like we were in (laughs) we were in the basement of a of a burrito restaurant and you know, we weren't listed on the Edinburgh Fringe website or app officially. We we're just on the free fringe. We just had flyers and we got really good sized crowds in, like sometimes like in the 50s. And I think partly it's because we were, as far as split bills go, quite different. You know, he's he's a black man. I'm a white woman. And like our subject matters were quite similar, like dating, work but coming at it from such different angles. So I think we were just, yeah. it was a really strong show, but I honestly have to give a lot of that year's success. And it was a success. We made a profit. We had a great time. Um, a lot of that is down to Roman Harris. Um, I just think he's <laughs> the most charismatic flyer I've ever seen. I think he's got such a can-do attitude. You know, like we weren't really like we went with such low expectations which I think helps like I was thinking maybe there'll be like six people in the crowd and the first day when we finished because at the end of free fringe you know we asked for donations we were sat at the table in this burrito restaurant with our hands full of cash from the donations just a little bit like shell-shocked and I remember we were both like what do we do what do we do with this what do we do and like (laughs) hadn't even like had like a plan for the the donations like who holds it how do we do that because yeah so it was just it was really wonderful and I felt really proud of my material and um yeah it was just really fantastic this year I did 45 minutes and with a 15 minute support and it was different every day Mm -hmm. you I I was really happy you got to see it with Roman again that was really great um and I nearly didn't go I nearly didn't go but Roman encouraged me to he was kind of like you know you want to keep moving forward you want to keep getting better you've got to do the stuff that scares you and it it scared me doing it by myself because I just you know and I said to him I was like I just feel like I can't do without you like who will hold the card reader (laughs) who will who will you know who will do the charismatic flyering I can't do it without you and it was really nice to prove to myself that actually I I could 
and I really liked my venue this year. It was at like the Dog House Hotel, really lovely hotel, and the staff were just so nice. Mm. Um, and yeah, I had like a really tranquil time. I didn't really go out and socialize with other comedians, but I did have a lot of friends come and surprise me, come and support me. I have some friends in Scotland, so it still felt really loving. Mm. And um, I'm not so bad at flyering, it turns out. <laughs> yeah. Got people in. Yeah. What about the festival in general? Because as well as being as doing your own show, you, you're competing with three and a half thousand other shows. Yeah. So what was your broader festival experience? Um, I didn't really think about the competing part, to be honest, which maybe I should have. But um, <laughs> I, think, I think this year I didn't see as many shows I liked as I did last year. I don't think I... Last year, I really packed in a lot of shows. I like knew exactly who I was going to see and had more of like a, an itinerary. Mm-hmm. Whereas this year, I kind of let myself be led by certain things. I saw like a couple of shows that I really wanted to see, but I kind of went with the flow and I didn't really see as like many shows that maybe I would have liked. So um, yeah, that was... <laughs> That it was like I didn't but but I'm talking more about like I saw plays I saw music Mm. I saw improv like I really tried to branch out and see like lots of different things not just comedy yeah you know yeah so next year I want more of a plan (laughs) but it's bloody expensive like you go see like one or two comedians that you really really like and that's like it feels like half your budget's blown you know so I don't know how you did you saw a lot of shows how many shows did you see uh 138 how many of them were free shows? Like, how many did you pay for? Well, I was um, volunteering with uh, the Ish Awards, so half of them were comped and half of them I paid. Oh. The free shows I gave money to. Yes, um, did, yeah. And then the paid ones I tried to avoid paying wherever possible. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're a comedy connoisseur, Mark. I feel like you like, <laughs> My friend was reviewing for, I can't remember what website she was reviewing for, but it was a website that's only around for Edinburgh Fringe. It's like specifically for Edinburgh Fringe shows. I think like, mm. I mean, like you should definitely have a column or something with like The Guardian by now, surely. You've seen like, <laughs> I've never seen anyone more well-versed with the comedy scene in terms of like the, like what's happening from the ground up. I think it's great. So. Yeah, well, I appreciate it. I'm working on it. Yeah. How were the Ish Awards? Tell me more about that. Uh, it was fantastic. We had a uh, an award ceremony at the Three Sisters. The both the newcomer and the main award got tied. Oh, so, oh, amazing! <laughs> fantastic. So, uh, best newcomer was Dan Tiernan and Fiona Ridgewell both. Oh my god! So I I saw Dan Tiernan at the backyard, and he was my god. He was a real example for me of like the I don't care kind of attitude. Like he had two separate industry people in to see him do a ten minute set at the backyard, hmm. and he he blew the crowd away and I remember talking to him after he's like oh how did it go and he was like I don't think it'll work out with either of them I turned them both down I was like oh my god (laughs) (laughs) wow like you just you're just doing your own thing and like it's really served him I yeah yeah Mm. now I saw him do a spot and then I saw him do a preview of his show Mm. and um he got a lot of really good reviews and he won that one as well and um he smashed it trying to remember who got the best show can't even remember now Mm. I mean, was it that long ago? <laughs> oh, Julia Masley. Julia Masley. Yes. And Paul Foot dissolved. That was another show I was desperate to see, Julia Masley's show. And I, I, it was all sold out. I couldn't yeah. get it. But I've heard that was like the pinnacle of what a fringe show should be. And it was like mad, niche and brilliant. And at 1 a.m. It's basically a night of improv. So it's different every night. Yeah. Oh, no, I'm very jealous. I think, you know, with improv shows, I think that can be like the real, like, that's the thrill of it, isn't it? Because when it's really great, it's like such an achievement. Yeah. Well, that's the thing, you see, because it's a risk, isn't it? Absolutely. And if if you're in a group, even if you're having an off night, you usually have other people who can Mm. like tag in and lift you up. But yeah, it's just you. Like, poof, it's. Yeah. Yeah. And that's interesting because some stand-ups now do a whole night of improvised comedy based on crowd, do a whole night of crowd work. Mm. People like Russell Hicks might mm. do that. But when you see a good troupe, like you say, if one is flagging or can't find the direction, mm. you've got three or four people who've got uh, moments of inspiration who can come in and they can lift the whole game and keep it afloat, mm. you know. So one, I think, one troupe who was this good that they spent most of the time trying to 
undermine the other people in the troop <laughs> to, to make it funnier because they were tripping them up to make life more difficult for them by being more oh. abstract and more silly that is expert level improv oh my goodness <laughs> oh. oh i saw um the doctor who improvised episode and that was um that was great i haven't really watched doctor who since like the david tennant era but yeah yeah that was that was incredible level of improv and there were a few moments where like one person would be like hello I'm this character and one person would be like oh I thought I thought that's what I was doing right now but okay okay cool like you know <laughs> but there's yeah. kind of moments that, like I think that's what makes improv specials when you see like the human kind of like oh fuck okay like <laughs> now we're gonna <laughs> yeah you see the work you see the work yeah. yeah exactly yeah I saw them at the um Leicester Comedy Festival it was so yeah. funny <laughs> And they're clever. They kind of like parody Doctor Who, but also like give such love for it. And, you know, and the fact that they have the person improvising the music as well on the side, like just, yeah, it's it's brilliant. That was that was a show I really loved this year, actually. Yeah. I know I was like, oh, I didn't see much I liked. But like, I feel like whatever you see, you'll end up like being like, oh, there's 10 shows that I really wanted to see that I didn't get to see. Like, it's just this. There's so much, so many great people out there. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Like after 138 shows, I still came away um, going, I wish I had more time. I didn't get to see this and this and this. And yeah. This. My, my favorite was one of my favorite comedians I saw was um, Jamie Allerton's show, actually. Did you see that? Yeah. yeah. Uh, the movies. I just thought it was, it was so brilliantly structured and it was in such a weird space. But he, I just think, I'm just such a big fan of Jamie. I think he's so great. And, someone who has got that stage presence of being so likable but also like follows it up with such strong material um yeah yeah that was a really good show so that's something you've mentioned there and you you brought it up a little bit earlier um about yourself about the audience liking the individual yeah. and i i particularly like comedians who express their joy on stage and it's it comes back i suppose to what i said about you know, the, the the audience can feel if the performer's having a good time. I really like the joyous performers. So people like yourself, people like Roman, who's just got a smile all throughout. He's loving it. Jamie is very boisterous and energetic, but he's he's making jokes for himself. Mm. Are you mindful of, of that character? Is that, you know, is that something that you want to be sure to put across? Oh, that's a good question. Um. To be honest, I I don't think I could have it any other way. I don't think I can be another way. And I think I think the more I've done it, the more people have pointed out to me. Like like I feel like it's really big headed when I'm like, oh, I'm really likable. But it's it's just something people have said to me. And I think mm. I think the more that I can see people reacting to that, the more I I want to give that and respond. But you know, I see I see some really sarcastic performers or really like really like um performers who like insult the crowd and get away with it and I mm. I really admire that because I just I don't have it in me to do that I don't think that's me I don't think I could do it even if I tried <laughs> so for me the like the, it kind of comes back to the acting I remember doing a show for a week um at drama school where it was a really depressing show and I just went home depressed every day and then when I did, I did The Music Man and that was such a joyous musical that I came home so happy every night that I was like, I just want to do stuff that gives me joy because like joy begets joy. So I, I want to like, you know, I kind of want to be that comedian that looks on the bright side and want, want to, I don't want to be too cynical mm. and or, or even too much of a character. Like Nick Everett is another comedian on the scene who I think is like, I just wish he was like on TV. I just think he's so brilliant at the the character that he does. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I I can't I can't quite do that. Or I can't commit to it for an hour like he can. That's for sure. Right. Yeah. We've talked a little bit about competition, and we talked about the the competitive nature of the fringe as well. Mm. But what about you did Funny Women? You were long listed for writing and stage awards last year. So how do you feel about competitions? Are you able to see it as another as another gig? Are you able to take yourself out of it? Can you talk to the people who you're competing against and yeah. see yourselves as all in the same boat, that sort of thing? Um, I mean, Funny Women was a bit different because it was all done via Zoom. So it's not mm. like you could kind of like meet people at the bar and kind of be like, oh, what's your story and get to know people. Like, right. so it did feel a little bit more like transactionary, okay. you know, um, like you were encouraged to laugh down your mic 
down the Zoom, but like I wasn't able to have much of a connection. But um, I, what I did do is I researched some other because I also was on Zoom for So You Think You're Funny. That was when like COVID was happening. I got to yeah. the semifinals. I was also on Zoom and I would watch some of the semifinals before my slot. And when I was watching it from an audience point of view, I absolutely loved it. I'd be like, oh my God, like like Carla Gordon is another comedian I love. And like seeing her smash it, I was like, oh, like she should, I feel like she should have been in the, she didn't even make it to the semifinals of So You Think You're Funny. I, I don't think. And she, like, she, honestly, I was like, she, I would have had a peg for a finalist. She's bloody brilliant. And I think watching it as an audience point of view, it's a lot easier to just see it as a gig and have fun. <laughs> but with the competition, I think it's that, you know, so many of the comedians out there that you love and look up to they were the winner of this award and the the runner-up to this award and you really do see it as this um path to getting further and doing more gigs getting better gigs getting agents and getting seen in front of industry people Mm. so um it can feel like a real it's not like a competition with other people in terms of like hating on, any, on anyone who does better or your peers. Like I've, I've never, I would never give that energy. It's more like an internal feeling like a failure right. when you don't get further. Like, you know, I'm always, I, I always try to be as supportive as I can for anyone in competitions, but you can really kind of like internalize your own journey. And like, you don't, you're not really thinking about other people. You're kind of just thinking about yourself until you get the result in and then you're like, I, I suck. <laughs> With the long listing award, um, I actually didn't know I had made the long list of the writing award. Um, they didn't email me. <laughs> I found out after the whole competition had ended. <laughs> so oh, wow. that was nice because I was like, oh, yay. <laughs> like, <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't have any expectations. Like, to know that like my name had even made it, I was like, oh, thank you. <laughs> so. Maybe that's the way I should do it. Maybe I should just like, I don't know, not find out till after. <laughs> <laughs> when did you start stand up? Oh, um, I did my first gig in the summer of 2019. But then I took like, I think just over a year out during the pandemic. So right. technically, like it's like four years since I started. Is that right? Four years? 2019, 2020. I've got technically five years, but it feels more like three and a half, four years mm. because I just wasn't doing it. And then also I have um last year, I mean, one of the reasons why I initially wasn't going to go to do the free fringe this year was because I've been uh, uh, distracted with like, another project, which is I'm getting a book published. Yeah. Hopefully the end of this month, but probably the start of next month because I've been slow with my editor once again. Um, <laughs> And I just haven't been focusing as much on stand-up comedy. So, mm. sorry, this is a really long answer to such a simple question, Mark. <laughs> the problem I have when people go, how long have you been going for? Is I feel like it's a meter of, so how good are you? How experienced are you? But actually, just because I did my first gig in 2019, I feel like I have to like spend five minutes explaining to people, yes, but but the, these are the reasons why I'm not inspiring minutes. Because I'm busy with that. And like, you know, so... <laughs> I really hate answering that question because then I have to talk for five fucking minutes about like my security around that question. There you go. I'm done. Question answered. 2019. <laughs> but you started 2019. And like you say, you took time off over the pandemic. And then, then we, we've also mentioned about you doing things like So You Think You're Funny over Zoom. Did you did you do much comedy over Zoom? No, I I did. I did one gig and it went so badly. One of the comedians heckled me. <laughs> Like how how is that possible? But it happened. So I, like I kind of found it. I, I found it like <laughs> I found it a bit de-energizing. Um, so I just told myself like until things are back back to quote unquote normal, I'll just I'll just um, stay away from comedy. And that was that was totally the right call and totally fine for me. And then getting back into it took a little while because obviously with every comedian off work, mm. you found that like people were taking like gigs that they, maybe they'd usually turn down just to try and get back on stage and try all this new material. So mm. like gigs that it was usually fairly easy for me to get, I was finding like a lot more competition because like everyone had been, you know, right. not doing it. Yeah. So yeah, it took maybe like a year to go back to it. Yeah. So tell me about your book. Oh, so you know what? Um, it was actually that competition that not competition, that Zoom comedy thing that the book came about. It was um it was like an LGBTQ themed comedy 
stand-up thing on zoom it went really badly and I just remember thinking like oh this is this this was bollocks um <laughs> and I found myself later that night just to try and kind of energize myself and cheer myself up I went I went onto my email and I'm signed up to um the comedy crowd newsletter have you heard of it mm-hmm. yeah I, honestly like it's it's such a brilliant newsletter and I saw that they said that Vulpine Press are uh, taking in new submissions. Uh, Valpine Press, a very small, very small independent publisher. They're looking for comedy book submissions. So I sent them an idea for a book called Nan, I Think I'm Bi. And the book is hilarious anecdotes of people who are bisexual or bi-curious, or at least at one point thought they were, and turns out, nope. And um, they emailed me asking me for, for more. And I did not have any more. There was nothing. So I ran away and very quickly interviewed a couple of people wrote 10,000 words sent it off to them and they were like great let's see the rest of the book and I was like there is no rest of the book like this is this is it (laughs) um so they were like great okay well let's sign the contract and like get it out as soon as you can and like basically they they just kept saying yes Mark and I kept I kept thinking like oh okay the next email I get back from them they're gonna be like you've wasted our time I get lost like I never felt like more of a loser than when I submitted that 10,000 words to them. I was like, this is like, what am I thinking? Like, cause you know, I'm not even out to my family. So I was just like, why would I write a book about this? Which is why the book is called Nan, I think I'm bi. Cause I'm like, well, I've got to tell her somehow. And um, I think I put that in like the application to them. So I think, I think it was good at getting their attention, but yeah, the book is, it's done and and my editor kind of had to break it to me that like you know I hope you're aware that this thing is also like it's a memoir it's not just interviews with people but it's about it's about you and um it's taken me a while to write because like Mark this is no war and peace do you know what I mean <laughs> I'm very proud of it but it is a silly little book and it's just taken me ages to get it done because I've been working full time I've been doing some stand-up I've been doing acting I've been doing heaps of things and I think in a way I've also like now that the book is done I've never been slower to reply to my editor because it's just getting so real and it's not just about a funny comedy book it's also about like having to come out and having to kind of like yeah. be out <laughs> that's been a lot <laughs> that's the book <laughs> would they listen to this Oh, maybe, maybe this is this is uh, this is fairly sanitized for me compared to the book. <laughs> I tell you what, they they know I'm writing a book because, like the idiot I am, I was so bloody excited once I signed the contract. I put it on social media, like ah, I'm gonna write a book, and like did not realize it would take two fucking years. Everyone's like, she was lying, but anyway, my family like, how's the book going? What's it about? My dad was like, can't wait to have it on my shelf, and I'm like, oh no, like no, no, no. <laughs> so. I think ultimately they'll be okay with it, but for the ones that won't, I'm just going to tell them that the contract fell through. I'll be like, oh, there was, yeah, it was a scam, Volpine Press, they're just, ah, oh, scammers. <laughs> I think that's going to be the best thing to do, Mark, the kindest option. <laughs> it was interesting. For some people I interviewed, like, they were just so, they were so easy to interview and so great and so open. I'm sure you feel this as a podcaster. Some Some things you have more chemistry or they give better answers but some like there was one guy I interviewed and I I insisted on putting him in the book but he was so um tense like you know he'd be like so what do you want to know but I was kind of like (laughs) I have to put you in this book because I feel like you represent so many people who are still so like defensive and figuring themselves out because they're not comfortable with it yet and I feel like actually if I didn't represent this in the book I wouldn't be doing people a solid because not everyone is really out and easy to talk about it Mm. so but yeah like did it feel like doing this how like how many episodes in are are you into like the whole interviewing people uh 50 plus yeah do you do you feel like your interview technique has changed at all completely yeah yeah Yeah. I mean I had in my mind what I wanted going in so I, I was more or less just kept leading in that direction but now I'm a lot more relaxed I only pace for an hour now instead of two hours <laughs> oh getting that down yeah <laughs> this is my therapy now this this gets me to to talk to people so tell me I'm, I'm sure people have asked you so forgive me if I'm like repeating other things from other podcasts but like what what's your story with comedy so have you been on stage with it before oh yeah long long time ago I was in a, a comedy band for a while a long time ago I think we went into it seriously, but it was such a shambles that it was came out funny. 
there's a lot of props and everything and you know there would be a mess and chaos and it was it was a lot of fun yeah but we were never going to get a contract we were that close to playing the Leeds festival once (gasps) and and they pulled out which is annoying we played a gig in Berlin that was the last thing I did that was about 2004 that was my last show do you have any CD yeah we got a CD the cover art was done by Yuri Geller Oh, what? This is this is crazy. How am I just finding this out about you? Well, you know, I had my moment in the sun. I tried to stand up. Uh, I, one time I went to a pub, no, I think an open mic night, and no one was getting up and doing anything. So I thought, this is completely out of character for me. I thought, I'll get up. I'll do. I'll throw mm-hmm. a couple of jokes. I didn't have any jokes. I just nicked <laughs> someone else's jokes. Oh, okay. I just, I'll, I'll throw a couple of jokes out there. So I just got up and I threw in a couple of some someone else's jokes, some TV yeah. comic. I threw in a couple of old gags. But people liked it. So I thought, well, that was quite fun. Maybe I'll have a go write my own stuff. And then I did. And I did a quick um, open mic that I didn't tell anyone around and completely bombed and never said, right, I'm out. Fair <laughs> enough. Fair enough. <laughs> but I still wrote jokes. I've got loads of them on my phone. I've probably got about 20 minutes on my phone. Really? Yeah. Would you ever put it in writing somehow? Like... In tweets or TikTok or like a blog or book. I post them on my Instagram now and then. I put mm-hmm. some one-liners on there. Sometimes they're funny, and sometimes mm-hmm. I re- read them a week later and go, "Why did why did you put that on there? It's so stupid." But <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I honestly, I think that about this book. Like <laughs> honestly, like it was like the second draft of my book had been done, and like I'd been really chill with my editor up until that point. But I kind of needed to. He needed to talk me down from a ledge. I was just like, "Was any of this ever funny?" <laughs> Like, was is any of this making any sense? Like, you know, you just look at something for so long or that, or you don't look at it enough and then you come back to it and you're like, what? What? And I, I just, yeah, I think when, when something is written down, it's like so, like, ah, it's so concrete. So I understand you looking at like an Instagram thing and being like, ah, I want to write that. So you can't really write it off in the same way as if you just said it offhand on a microphone at, on stage. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, you can laugh it off and then everyone will forget it. Yeah. So with your career in stand-up so far, what have been the best and worst moments for you? Oh, um, oh man, it's really it's really hard to pick. There are ups and downs. Honestly, best moments are just whenever I have a gig and come off with that giddy, excited feeling. And honestly, I've had that at like Up the Creek doing a gong show. I've had that at the Backyard. I've had that at the Bill Murray. But I've also had that at like Tiny Bringer gigs or gigs with like eight people in the audience. Like, I think, this is going to, again, it's going to sound really wanky, but in a way, have that same feeling coming off a smaller gig as you do maybe one of the bigger, quite quite more important or significant gigs. It's such a joy to feel because it remind it, it makes me realize that like at whatever level I do this, it's going to make me happy. Mm. And for me, that is like that is the goal. Like I always tell myself, if this is all it will ever be, if I only ever stay at this level, will I be happy with it? If the answer is yes, then like I've already won. Mm um so that's that's a oh god I sound like such a wanker but it's but it's it, but it's kind of like it's true because I I spent so much of my acting and musical theater career thinking when I get the big break I'll be happy when I get the big break all this misery will have paid off and I just I really I really don't want to feel that way with comedy I don't want it to ruin it worst moments different story um <laughs> quite a few for that too I think like oh I did a I did a gong show at the top secret comedy club and got booed off the stage after 30 seconds everybody was wasted but that was like <laughs> that was more funny though like it was it was terrible my friend came and was horrified but it was kind of like such a parody of itself that it was kind of funny to me but um another gig I did in Kent that was really, really bad gig. It was a private event at a pizza restaurant. But the owners had like set the tables out like a medieval banquet or like a wedding table arrangement. Like there was no clear stage and audience. Right. So either you could get your mic and like walk down an aisle talking to the crowd, or you could stand in a corner. And this crowd, they'd clearly like and I don't mean this is like any insult to them they clearly like never seen any live comedy before so they just didn't know how to behave and they all like knew each other so they all like would start talking or joking to themselves or like getting really like giddy over like random things with each other than like giving the act kind of like respect yeah and this comedian who I saw I won't name who was like 
a significant name bombed and then like when got heckled basically like fed up with the whole situation heckled back and then the MC came on to tell off the crowd <laughs> so then I went to stage after you know this incredible act bombed the MC told off the crowd and they're all just sitting there with their arms folded looking at me like Meh, like what, what like told off kids so I obviously did a 10 minute set within like five minutes because nobody was fucking laughing and oh but you know what I came on stage with such hope Mark because I thought to myself you know what I've just got to get out my first joke my first joke it's a dirty joke it's a stupid joke but they're gonna like it I know they will so I just got to do that and then I'll have them and then I can go from there so I was just about to do the punchline of my joke and the owner of the bar walked up to me and started giving me advice on how to hold the mic and then like before I could even like answer or say anything or even try and like banter my way out of it then walked straight into the staff room and left the area so I'm like stood there staring at the audience they're staring at me and they're like well get on with it like and I'm like what? so it totally ruined any kind of like build up I had and God, it was it was a disaster, <laughs> absolute disaster. Um, I got paid thirty quid for it and went on the train feeling very sorry for myself. <laughs> yeah, oh, you got paid. You know what? I got paid. I got paid. I got paid to make no one laugh. So, <laughs> well, that's easy to do, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, I know it was an easy day's work. How do you feel about criticism, either be it in the room, like in heckling or uh, reviews? How do you feel about that kind of criticism? Oh, I don't, you know what, in all honesty, I don't think I've experienced enough of either to to really have strong feelings on it. Touch wood. <laughs> um, I, there's no such thing as, I, like, I've heard it before, there's no such thing as a sober heckler. And I can't remember who said it, but I really thought, you know, that's such a good way of looking at it because sometimes people will shout stuff out in your gig. Mm. And to me, I'm like, good. That means they're paying attention. Like if they're saying something relevant, mm-hmm. but if they're drunk, and like yelling crap or like insulting you, then like, I feel like things have to either be really bad for them or really bad for you in what you're doing on stage. <laughs> so, you know, kind of, I feel like it depends on the situation. The worst heckle I got was um, from a guy in the audience who thought I was a member of staff at the pub and like yelled at me for not helping him carry his drinks to his seat, which he then dropped. <laughs> so then when I got on stage, he like hated me. So he like sarcastically yelled at one point, like, oh, this is so great. And I just went, oh, shut the fuck up. Like, which I'm sure as you know, from like my sunny disposition on stage, like the joyous kind of like stuff I do, to suddenly switch me like, shut the fuck up. Like, <laughs> I don't think him or the audience saw it coming. And thankfully, it was mu- enough of a misdirection that the audience laughed. Mm. Um, and then with with reviews, like, uh, I've had, like, acting reviews before that have luckily all been pretty glowing. Like, you know, if anything ever, like, there was only, like, one thing once, but that was more of, like, the way I'd been directed than anything towards me personally. Um mm. I don't think, like, I like to think that I won't pay much attention to reviews because I feel like with comedy the only feedback you really need is the crowd. Like if they're laughing, then you're doing great. If they're not, then like you're not. And I and I quite like that simplicity. So I don't know if I would want to read a review and ruin that, that thing that I have going for me. Um, <laughs> and also again, after an industry with like dance teachers yelling at you, like bring on the hecklers, man. Like I'm not, you think that's going to destroy me? Like, <laughs> like jokes on you like this isn't even what I wanted to do like I just feel like I have a bit of an armor after 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 so much of like the fuckery of musical theater and the acting industry Hmm. so it's good in a way to have that (laughs) you talked about shows that you wanted to see at the fringe and although you talked about obviously uh music and theater are you still able to watch comedy in the sense that you know you're not analyzing what they're doing with the jokes you are able to enjoy it at face value and just sit back and laugh um I think so I think especially if I see comedy that's very different to mine like like again Nick Everett is a very good example like he's like always such a surprise and such a joy to watch I've never laughed at a comedian more um so yeah I think I think weirdly like I'm actually quite difficult to make laugh like I'll sit there and think something's really funny but it's actually quite difficult to get me to laugh out loud at stuff 
anyway. So I think I think maybe I've always been a little bit analytical even before I was doing it. But um to the point where like I like fake laugh and fake smile at gigs all the time. And my boyfriend said, You've got to stop doing that. You've got to be honest. But I'm like, yeah, but I'm I'm being supportive. I'm helping. Um <laughs> because because in my head I'm like, oh that's funny. And I'm like, ah ha, ha. like like you know, I wanna I wanna like show them that I appreciate it. So um <laughs> I also I think a big thing as well is that like if I'm going to go watch a comedy show then like I'm relaxed and with friends and having a drink and like very much able to laugh and have a good time mm. but if I'm at a gig like quote-unquote working and like watching other comedians you know I'm usually dead sober um I've maybe like come like I'm not surrounded by necessarily like people who are like my like really good friends like so it's a different it's a different environment you don't necessarily like ha ha laugh out loud at that stuff but sometimes you do mm. I don't know maybe it's bullshit <laughs> <laughs> what are the most important lessons that you've learned what philosophies have you developed oh I think what I said before which is like if this is all of a can you be happy if the answer is yes then I've won yeah. you know I think look if I could do this every day I, I could like initially I kind of thought if I make it as a comedian on TV then I could walk into any musical theater job I want as like a bit part and then once I can actually show them I can sing then I'll like start to take it more seriously in that industry like that's that's how my brain works mm -hmm. and like obviously like if that happens then like fucking great sweet like brilliant <laughs> but um yeah if all it'll ever be is like some paid gigs some unpaid gigs some even occasional dare I say bring a gigs like if it's still fun then like yeah great I've won Thompson how can we find out about you and where we can come and see you oh okay so oh I hope this is still relevant because I feel like I'm gonna have to do like a big dive into like my online footprint just before the book comes out but my handles right now are at Thomasin underscore London because Lockwood was taken um that handle might change, but hopefully not. Thomasin underscore London on TikTok and Instagram is where I'm most active. Um, can add me on Twitter if you like. Um, and I will have a website up soon, so give that a Google. But also, if you want to buy my book, um, it's called Nan. Um, I think I'm by. It's sold by Vulpine Press, but you can find it on Amazon. Uh, and you can download it for your Kindle. You can buy, buy a book if you like. Um, and I'm also on YouTube again, like Thomasin underscore London, or just search Thomasin Lockwood. And yeah, you might see me on some stand up gigs around the town. Who knows? Or even on the Sky Sky's latest advert. So yeah, give that a watch. Check it out. <laughs> give us a love. And finally, how would you, Thomasin, sum up comedy in a nutshell? Oh God, um, anything that makes you laugh. Honestly, I don't want to overthink it. <laughs> and just bear in mind that might not be the same as the person next to you. But yeah, <laughs> that's, that's a really like dictionary answer. But I I like comedy for its simplicity, not for the not for the. But what does it mean to laugh? Like um, like let's just have a good time. Beautiful, Thompson. Thank you so much. It's been an absolute pleasure to talk with you. Thank you. Thank you so much. I'm honestly honoured that you would have me on your podcast. And yeah, thank you so much. 